Welcome to the AIPT Movies Podcast with your hosts, Alex Harris. And with them, as always, are Tim Garner and Matt Paul. It's kind of hard for me to listen back because I always sound like a, a smug asshole and I get self-conscious. That's all. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, as I was saying, I, I feel like I always sound like a fucking prick, too. I love how I sound. <laughs> Good for you, Matt. Good for you. Anyway, hello and welcome to the AIPT Movies Podcast. I'm Alex Harris. I'm an independent writer slash director. You may know me from my upcoming ninja movie epic that will reignite the exciting ninja franchise from the 80s, which I'm sure literally everyone has been waiting for. Ninja 4, Into the Ninjaverse. I actually have a clip from the short I made to entice investors. It only took me 27 tries to get a yes. A new record, by the way. Uh, Let's check it out now. Wait, I just signed up for this class to learn how to flash dance. You're telling me that because I touched these cursed leg warmers, I'm I'm now possessed by the ghost of Christy Ryder? A telephone line woman and an aerobics instructor who is possessed by the evil spirit of a fallen ninja warrior, Hanjuro? Yes, you are double possessed. Possessed by the possessed. An infinite loop of possession and control. Like capitalist America. Oh no, what does this mean? It means that you are the chosen one to travel into the Ninjaverse, where you will seek the help of the greatest ninja masters. They should be fairly easy to find. They're almost all played by Shokusagi, except for YK Kim from Miami Connection, and the first kid to beat that fucking impossible Ninja Gaiden game for Nintendo. Then what happens? I don't fucking know. I could never get past the first few levels, but I just kept playing because I loved the opening with the two ninjas running at each other in the tall grass. No, no, I mean... What do I do when I find the ninja masters? They will help you complete your training, and then you will come back, help my dance dojo win first place in the dance fighting regionals, and then if there's time, you will save the world. Wow, yeah, no, that sounds great, Alex. Really happy for your success. <laughs> Hi, I'm uh, Tim Gardner, man in suit actor, contortionist mime, green suit guy. You may know me from having my life ruined by a talentless suit actor nemesis, Wilson Montanero, who was apparently their second choice. Who could have thunk it for the role of <laughs> Harry in the Hendersons HBO Max miniseries? Now I'm stuck taking non-union suit actor jobs in really embarrassing movies like Ninja 4 into the Ninjaverse. What? I even had to go back to posing as Avril Lavigne so people think that she's still alive. <laughs> wow, Tim, I'm so glad things are going so well for you. Hi, I'm Matt Paul, and I'm just a guy in a podcast. I'm certainly not a script doctor. Speaking of me being a script doctor, Alex, <laughs> I did a re-edit of your pitch video for Ninja Whatever into the Whateververse. If you want to check it out, I just made minor changes for pacing. I just signed up for this class to learn how to flash dance. Complete your training. Help my dance dojo win first place in the dance fighting regionals. Oh, wow, Matt. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about that, okay? Um, maybe, maybe after we record. Um... Anyway, once again, in an affront to my hatred of personal imperfection, 
we have some corrections from the previous episode. First, while we were discussing Scream 2 near the end of the episode, our guest Ryan Donnelly thought that the town from the movie series was Lakewood, when it's actually Woodsboro. Lakewood is the town from the Scream TV show on MTV. I don't know how I didn't notice it at the time, but in Ryan's defense, his breathing was compromised for a decent amount of time when Steven Seagal fell on him. Uh, not to put too much blame on Mr. Seagal, but that's also what happened with Ryan's audio as his AirPods were in his pocket at the moment of impact. Um, I would also like to apologize for saying like a lot again in the previous episode. It comes and goes. And I think I said Chloe Zhao was the director of No Man Land instead of No Bad Land. Uh, I think I was confusing the movie for what scared men think will happen when a woman directs a comic book movie. Uh, finally, I'd like to apologize for saying scared Skellen Skarsgård instead of the proper Stellan Skarsgård. Skellen Skarsgård is actually the Stellan slash Skeletor mashup that appears in my nightmares to strangle me with his goodwill hunting scarves while his high-pitched laugh destroys what remains of my spirit. I would like to personally apologize for my Humpty Dumpty victim blaming when I claim that the kid who dressed up as Humpty Dumpty at the Halloween dance in the movie Trick or Treat quote, had it coming when he was killed by Sammy Kerr. Listen, I have no excuse. I mean, you'd think I would have learned after the Kurds and Way incident with my neighbor, Nancy Muffet. Also, <laughs> I'd like to apologize on Tim's behalf for saying the guy's Rambo costume in Trick or Treat was worthy of a breaky. Where was his wig, Tim? Where was his wig? And finally, <laughs> sorry for the sound of sirens in Alex's studio. You may think this was because Alex lives on a busy street in Boston but it's actually because the cops were after Alex for stealing the show. And I don't mean that in a flattering way. I mean, he certainly didn't earn it. Jeez, Matt. Okay, fine. We can talk about your version of Ninja 4. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's it for corrections. Let's move on to some news. Zack Snyder has cast Sofia Boutella to star in his Netflix sci-fi film, Rebel Moon. Now... I know you expect me to make some Zack Snyder joke, but much like Snyder's movies themselves, I decided this story should be humorless. Uh, (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Ariana Grande and Cynthia Erivo will lead the movie adaptation of the musical Wicked. Personally, I'm upset they aren't giving any of the roles to a real witch, like my neighbor, Nancy Muffet. (laughs) The producer of the upcoming Black Adam movie starring Dwayne Johnson says the film has a high body count for a PG-13 movie. The most disturbing part is that those bodies are what The Rock is cooking. Last night in Soho, director Edgar Wright says that there's a script for Baby Driver 2, but he may not direct it. In my opinion, no matter who else they pick to direct, the sequel simply won't feel right. Oh, I get it. (laughs) It's hard to do. It's hard to do uh, sononym jokes on a podcast. (laughs) Uh, An image from the upcoming Bruce Willis movie, The Fortress 2, shows Willis tied to a chair while being interrogated. Unsurprisingly, Willis picked a movie where all he had to do was sit still and answer questions. And I don't know, something tells me he still found a way to be lazy about it. (laughs) Mel Gibson is going to star in the movie Boys of Summer, where he plays a detective hunting a supernatural entity, which he hopes has the power to erase everyone's memory of his career (laughs) post-Braveheart. 
Taika Waititi is going to direct a movie based on the graphic novel The Inkle. Unfortunately, most headlines omitted legendary artist Mobius's name, only crediting the writer Alejandro Jodorowsky. This added to ongoing online discourse about comic artists frequently going uncredited as co-creators. Several comic pros complained about the omission on Twitter, such as writer Tom Taylor and artists... <laughs> Actor Matt Smith says he was almost cast in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker for a role that would have been a big shift for the sequel trilogy, but they decided to cut out the whole battle with the physical embodiment of Skynet. <laughs> Mexican actor Gael Garcia Bernal is going to star in the Disney Plus Halloween special Werewolf by Night. Or, as some angry racist Marvel fans are now calling it, Werewolf by Noche. <laughs> Gal Gadot is going to play the evil queen in Disney's live-action Snow White remake. Gal Gadot is beloved by so many, how are they going to make her seem evil? Have Steve Trevor possessed Snow White's body? Oh, uh, ooh, Alex, looks like you're getting a beating a dead horse alert. Nope. That horse isn't even dead. It's just sleeping because Steve Trevor doesn't have a use for its body yet. (laughs) (laughs) Zazie Beetz is hopeful for a third Deadpool movie so she can play Domino again. Or Vogue from Youngblood. Whichever Lightfield character it was she played. (laughs) Oh, Lightfield. Uh, He's always easy for jokes. All right. That's it for news. Let's move on to new releases. New in theaters and streaming on Paramount Plus is Clifford the Big Red Dog. A young girl's love for a tiny puppy named Clifford makes the dog grow to an enormous size. The family comedy is directed by Walt Becker and is based on the children's book series of the same name by Norman Bridwell. It stars Jack Whitewall, Darby Camp, Tony Hale from Arrested Development, Sienna Gilroy, Russell Wong, and John Cleese for some reason. Hopefully the movie addresses the burning question. How do they clean up Clifford's poop? That's the twist. They don't. <laughs> That's the main like conflict in the movie is them tr- like dealing with his poop the whole time. That's what I'm going to guess. <laughs> it's it's the whole it's the entirety of the second act. <laughs> <laughs> New in theaters and streaming on Netflix on November 19th is Tick Tick Boom. On the cusp of his 30th birthday, a promising young theater composer navigates love, friendship, and the pressures of life as an artist in New York City. The musical drama is directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda and his featured directorial debut from a screenplay by Steve Levinson, based on the semi-autobiographical musical of the same name by Jonathan Larson. The film stars Andrew Garfield, Alexandra Shipp, Robin DeJesus, Joshua Henry, Judith Light, and Vanessa Hudgens. Uh, Judith Light from, um, who's the boss? Hey. Judith Light was in, oh, I, I thought I recognized that name, but I wasn't sure where from. Spoiler alert. It's her. She's the boss. I know, right? That, I mean, we better know by the end of that movie who the boss finally is. <laughs> Wait, it was us. <laughs> it, it was us the whole time. It was us. <laughs> it was the friends we made along the way. Right. It's the bosses we made along the way. New in theaters only is Belfast. A young boy and his working class family experienced the tumultuous late 60s. The black and white coming of age comedy drama is written and directed by Kenneth Branagh and is supposedly his most personal film. The movie stars Katrina Balf, Judy Dench, Jamie Dornan, Ciaran Hins, Colin Morgan, and newcomer Jude Hill. Oh, Brad. <laughs> uh, they're always so dramatic. I know, right? New in theaters and on VOD or VOD is Apex. <laughs> <laughs> Five elite hunters pay to hunt down a man on a deserted island. 
only to find themselves becoming the prey. The action movie is directed by Edward Drake and written by Drake and Corey Large. Not Corey Small or Corey Medium. Corey Large, the older (laughs) brother. Uh, The movie is a remake of 1994's Surviving the Game and is yet another adaptation of the 1924 short story The Most Dangerous Game by Richard Connell. It stars Neil McDonough and as much of Bruce Willis as they could get in one day of filming. Some (laughs) random trivia about this movie is that when this information was originally copied from Wikipedia, someone had edited the entry to describe Apex as, quote, the worst American action movie ever filmed. That's high praise. (laughs) It's been changed since then, but I, and I didn't even notice it until I was going through the, the script that that was in what I copied. That somebody <laughs> has some kind of axe to grind, and I want to know yeah. more. Me too, because that's those are high claims. Now that kind of makes they should have left it. It kind of made me want to see Apex. Right. New on Netflix is Passing. Passing follows the unexpected reunion of two high school friends whose renewed acquaintance ignites a mutual obsession that threatens both of their carefully constructed realities. The black-and-white drama is written, produced, and directed by Rebecca Hall, from the town, in her feature directorial debut. The film is based on the 1929 novel of the same name by Nella Larson. The title refers to African Americans who had skin color light enough to be perceived as white, the practice of which is referred to as passing. The film stars Tessa Thompson, Ruth Nega, that's N-E-G-G-A for the record, uh, Andre Holland, Bill Camp, Benga Akanabi, Antoinette Crow Legacy, and son of the terrifying Stellan, Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> Skarsgårds. Every time you every time you pull up a different corner of the rug, there's a Skarsgård. I know. I wonder if uh, I wonder if Alexander and uh, Rebecca Hall met on the set of Godzilla vs Kong and decided to work on this together. Hmm. And I wonder if there's any Godzilla references into the, in passing. I mean, probably not. Alex. Probably not. Oh, God damn. And what what kind of a name is Ant- Antoinette Crow Legacy? That's that's quite the name. I mean, someone's last name is Legacy. That's pretty dope. That's pretty dope. Yeah, exactly. Like that's pretty great. Also, like that's a lot of weight to live underneath. <laughs> I know, right? What if you What if you don't do much with your life? Right. <laughs> like, 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 what if you decide, what if you're the last Crow legacy and you decide not to have a kid and so, and it, like people get to say the Crow legacy is dying with you. Right. It's just cruel. It's just, that's a lot of pressure to put on Antoinette. I am, I have anxiety, you know, on her behalf if she doesn't. <laughs> and again, uh, Red Notice is on Netflix this week for those of you that are still interested in what The Rock is cooking. Um, all right, that's it for new releases. But before we get into what we watched this week, we actually have a real interview with a director, um, Alex McCauley, uh, writer and director of the Blumhouse-produced horror thriller A House on the Bayou. A troubled couple and their daughter go on vacation to an isolated house in the Louisiana Bayou to reconnect as a family. But when unexpected visitors arrive, the unity starts to unravel. The movie stars Paul Schneider, who you may know from the first season of Parks and Rec, Angela Sarafian from Westworld, and Reminiscence, uh, Jacob Laughlin from Justified in the Maze Runner series, Leah McHugh from The Lodge in Marvel's Eternals, Doug Van Lue, and Lauren Richards. The movie will be released on VOD and Epics on November 19th. Let's go to the interview now. Always nice to meet a fellow Alex. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here with a House on the Bayou writer and director, Alex McCauley. How's it going, Alex? 
It's really good. I'm happy to be here today talking about this movie. How about you? How's everything going on your end? Not, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm actually, this is actually the first interview I've done for my podcast. Oh, this is cool. kind of exciting. Yeah. I, wow. That's a big honor. I'm excited. <laughs> I need a trophy now. To yeah, it's memorial. exciting stuff. Um, so yeah, thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, I, I I looked you up, obviously. I did, did a little research before this. Um, I see that before you got into directing, you you also wrote some books, uh, Bad That's Girls, funny. Shelter Me, Lost Summer, and Oblivion Road. I did indeed. That was the first thing I sort of started doing. I was writing, um, when I lived in North Carolina, I was writing... Um, like novels, like primarily like YA, YA horror right. novels and thrillers. And then um, that's how I got into the the movie stuff was uh, one of them, Bad Girls, was optioned by Paramount. And then, and I moved out to L.A. because of that. And then I just never left. And I just started writing. I realized <laughs> it was writing a screenplay is easier than writing a novel and shorter. So, <laughs> so, it is shorter, yeah. Yeah, so that's, then I sort of got into that, and I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to go. I mean, I love, I love books. If I had an awesome idea for a book, I would probably try to write it. Um, but yeah, and I sort of segued into screenplays and then, and then directing. I, I was, I was going to ask about that. Like, did you do any sort of formal, I'm guessing you didn't do any sort of formal schooling for directing, or you just kind of pick it up? I did not for direct. I mean, I took when I was in college, like I took I took film classes just as an undergrad. But I was, I majored in English lit, so I wasn't I wasn't like a film major. But but I studied some of it um, along the way. So I had a rudimentary knowledge, but not not definitely. I was not one of those um, like film school kids <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> who come out instantly knowing all everything. Um, so yeah, it really came about as I'd written a movie that got made called Flower. Mm-hmm. It was like very dark comedy. Um, and I spent a lot of time on that set and, and got to know the people. And, um, and when I wrote the, my next script, Don't Tell a Soul, I was like, you know, I think I know enough to be able to direct this myself. Um, and of course I spent like I storyboarded it and really prepared a ton. Oh, that's cool. So, and then, and so that was the first feature I directed was, was Don't Tell a Soul. And then right as that came out, I had this script and then Blumhouse really liked it. And then I ended up directing this. So, um, Hopefully we'll get to keep directing. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, did did you score? Did out of curiosity, did you storyboard uh, House on the Bayou as well? I, we we did certain sequences that were like that needed, you know, something like like the fire scenes, like right. just. But no, not not in the same way. Like anything that was really the bridge, the fire scene, a few other things that you know needed some technical financing. But for most of it, because it's it just inside one house, you know, and it's like a small group of people, there wasn't that kind of need to do right. it. There were certain images that I definitely wanted to get um, on screen that we got, but I didn't I didn't need to block it out in, in the same way. And, and partly because for, for Don't Tell a Soul, one of the characters is stuck in a, Rain Wilson is stuck in a, in a well for most of the movie. So that was partly why we had to storyboard it to try to figure out how to make that visually interesting. Um, but this time around, I, I kind of went with it. Which was which was fun, and the house we were shooting in is amazing. It's a real house on the bike. I, I was going to ask if that was an actual practical set or or something you guys. Put yeah, together. It's, it's a mix. It's an actual house, and then because they would they wouldn't let us hang any light. Everything in it is like super expensive antique vintage. Um, they wouldn't let us hang any lights from the ceiling. They wouldn't let us put any blood in the house. So we had to build part of the house in an abandoned mall that became wow. like our soundstage set. And so we did, uh, we filmed mostly in the house and then about four days on this, on this set. Okay. 
and then we blended it together. And luckily, I, I think it works nicely. It's uh, seamless. I couldn't <laughs> tell. But I, I actually thought it was all the house because there was that like tracking shot where you follow right, yeah, yeah. Like, out of the house. So yeah, you, you for did sure. It very yeah. well. The track that's right. It's hit the tracking shot. I always I always was nervous that people would tell it was more than one, one location. But yeah. we had a great production designer and then our the DP Lynn Moncrief is just amazing and super smart, great guy with visual flair. And so yeah, we just set it up so that we would always you know, hide it, um, use things like that tracking shot or cut. So it always seemed like one continuous structure. Having said that, the house is giant. We, we could have filmed there, but um, if it weren't for the restrictions on blood, right. we wouldn't have needed to film. <laughs> that was more to appease the owners who were very, very nervous about letting us film. <laughs> I would imagine. It looked like an expensive house. I can see them being it's very... Uh... It was this perfect mix. Yeah, it's like a super expensive home, but it was kind of also decayed and spooky and creepy. It was like... It was like decayed grandeur. Like yeah. <laughs> at one point, you know, it had been in this like mega million dollar home and now it was fraying at the edges. And um, so it was it was fun because they got to play around with both the nice elements of the home and then also the fact that everything in it is kind of old and from another era. Yeah, I, I thought that I specifically wanted to mention that I thought the house was such a good find it was it was such a perfect like character you know they say sometimes sets are like characters and it, it really did seem like a character in the movie so i that however you came across that it was it was well found, yeah that was, sure. I, yeah that, our location manager found it and did such a great job because we had looked at some other houses and there were interesting things but nothing that was as good as that one right there's some weird ones like we saw some really weird ones like there was like an 80 style miami vice house that some of them <laughs> on the bayou and it was so you can't picture that on the bayou at all no it was completely <laughs> incongruous and weird it's like obviously someone had money in like 1985 and built this like monstrosity wow. and then but it was like those weird kind of things and like part of me was like oh maybe we should do it and then when we found this house we were like no this is the winner <laughs> I think you made the right choice. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, you you touched on a bunch of stuff I was going to mention, but I'll 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 come back to it. Um, was there any specific inspiration for this story? Was there like a like were there any movies that you were particularly inspired by, or books, or or anything along those lines? Well, I really like anything that deals with sort of relationships in in crisis or or people going through some traumatic experience. So. I think, you know, for the couple in the movie, definitely the, for me, I mean, I've definitely been in relationships where I've been cheated <laughs> on. And so I'm like, yeah, let's let, you know, fuck the cheater. I don't know if I can say it. Screw the cheaters. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, and so I think Angela, I feel like sort of emotionally connected to Angela's character, maybe. Um, and then also watching a lot of couples over the years, you know, go through these awful things and break up and there's chaos and, I'm like, yeah, that's a fun, fertile ground for a horror movie. Yeah, and I was really, I've really been enjoying the recent horror movies, things like um, Jordan Peele's movie Us or Midsummer, yep. where um, that take more time to get into the characters and the emotions, and there's there's yep. more going on than just like gore. I mean, I, I love gore stuff too, <laughs> <laughs> but there's you know more going on, and those are the kinds of things I like to watch. So. I'm like, oh, and making something. I just want to be sure the characters seem interesting. Like people don't even have to like them. They just, for me, I, I will enjoy a movie even if I hate the characters, as long as I'm I'm intrigued by them or they're fascinating or relatable in some way. Yeah, I really, I, I felt like you did a really good job at you and 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 Paul uh, Paul Schrader. Am, am I 
Paul Schneider. Paul Schneider I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of Paul Schrader for some reason. Oh, I know. Um, yeah. I love Paul Schrader too. <laughs> um, I felt like you did a really good job of, of, of like fully committing to how dishonest John oh, was. Yeah. Like it was like constant throughout the whole movie. Like how <laughs> I was like, wow, man, this guy, like, and I, I like that you didn't really hold back on that. Like you, you allowed him to be unlikable. It, it was, um, I thought that was cool. Absolutely. And it was funny because that was like the script is it's like that in the script. Like he's he's unrepentant. And then Paul Paul amped that up even more because Paul was like, Paul was like, yeah, I don't think this guy should have any like let's no remorse, you know, let's like so and, and there's a blankness. So I love those scenes early on where like she accuses him of cheating, and then later when they have that argument and she's crying, he's like emotionally so unsupportive and blank, he's a dead-eyed ro- robot zombie. <laughs> like I just love because we talked about that before, like how to how to signal on some level that something's badly wrong with him without having him overtly do weird stuff and having him be very emotionally distant uh, was a fun way to do that. He was very committed to the lie about the veal cutlets, which I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll like never look at veal cutlets the same yeah. way. They, oh, yeah. They're just such a point of contention in the movie that. Yeah, that's right. He's never going to give up. He's <laughs> never, he's just like, he's going to see that through to the bitter end and, and pretty much does. Yeah. I thought yeah. Be, also it was funny to me because I feel like that's the kind of random thing that happens, I guess, with relationships. It's just the smallest thing will take on this massive significance, you know, and like he'll lie yeah. about tiniest thing that means so live on the biggest thing the, the little lies are often you know yeah the little lies are the signposts to the words of <laughs> right <laughs> she's on to him too i mean she knows he's no good she just oh yeah you just can't emotionally separate from him yet right and speaking speaking of paul like i i thought the cast was was great um i oh. uh I, I thought paul was really good and i, I angela um, I, I know her from like Westworld and, exactly. and, and so forth. And I've never really seen her get to play a character like this. I feel like she, she kind of gets typecast in a lot of ways. It's kind of like the sexy girl. And I, 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 it was cool to see her in a very different part. I completely agree. Cause I also knew her from Westworld and like, she's done a ton of stuff. But I feel Westworld became just so big. That's what, you know, and that was also, that's my main association with her too. And like, and I agree. I think a lot of her roles have played off the fact that, you know, how she looks like her appearance versus anything deeper than that. But she's phenomenal. And she really brought the sort of emotional core to it. I feel like, cause it's a tough role. I mean, she has to, you know, that the role calls upon her to like cry and yell, um, run around. And there's so much, it's like a really, and and she was able to do all of it. She's really fun to work with too. Like super sweet. They all were, it was like a great, it was a great group of people, like very chill, yeah. no, no egos whatsoever. They're like the most humble, nice group of actors <laughs> I've ever seen. That's great. Cause I, I really liked uh, Jacob Laughlin too. I thought he was weirdly walking the line between endearing and creepy the whole time, <laughs> which I'm sure was the goal. I thought he did a great job at that. And uh, Doug Van Lu, he just seemed like he seemed like he was that guy and you just found him for the movie which i thought was really cool absolutely yeah i feel like i got i mean they're all so great i I felt really lucky to have them i think absolutely jacob is phenomenal he was i knew of him from when he was younger he was in that movie mud which is great but he's like you know a, a kid in that and then um my producer mary margaret kunzi suggested his name she's like you gotta check out this guy He's he's so good. I think he'd be perfect. And I was like, okay. Um, and then then once we got I got on a Zoom with him, 
And I instantly was like, oh my God, this guy is amazing. Like he must be, he must do the role. Um, and he did. And then Doug indeed was someone that the casting director found um, locally, who's, as you say, I mean, Doug in real life is very obviously sweet and intelligent, but yeah, he also has that. He certainly, in real life, he had the beard and everything. He looks exactly as he does. The overalls, the beard, the hat, he's perfect. He was, and then, yeah. Yeah, and then Leah McHugh is so good as a, as the daughter. I mean, I feel she's she's just on her way to like a huge career. Oh yeah, definitely. And I I think it was it must have been exciting to manage to get her like right at the same time at Eternals is coming yeah, out and everything. Crazy. And you know, I actually did not. I didn't even know that. So I was like going through. A lot of people read for the role. And it's a tough one. And I saw her, and I was like, whoa, this is so good. She's amazing. Much like I saw when I saw Angela. And uh, and then I was like, we have to get her. And then I remember they were, you know, Blumhouse was very supportive of that. Um, but they were like, you know, she's like, <laughs> she's like going, she's going to, she's in these really big things. So I don't, we don't know if that's feasible to get her. And I was like, well, yeah, let's try. And like, to their credit, they, they tried and she wanted to play that Roy knew she gets to play obviously a very different role. Yeah. And then she does in the Eternals and she's, more of a teenager in this in terms of how she looks. So she was super excited and, uh, and it was, it was great. I mean, I felt, think it was a phenomenal cast too. It really elevated the, the script and it made the experience fun too, which is important. Yeah. <laughs> Spending um, months with the people, it's important that they're cool. Right. You got to like them. Right. Yeah. Uh, real, I, I know we're probably running low on time. A couple of things I just wanted to get in real quick, if possible, some shots that I wanted to ask, but like, I think you mentioned the bridge. Oh, right. I, did I imagine like I, I saw it and I thought I imagined it for a second. So John and Isaac walk to the left, the camera dollies yeah. down and That's then right. they walk in from the right. I didn't imagine that. Right. That like, did yeah, no, there, yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Because exactly right. Like because I wanted to get the milieu of the bayou, but I also want to get all the close ups. That, and that was crazy. That was so much fun to shoot that bridge. At the morning of the day we were shooting, that bridge had flooded out and the bayou had risen. <laughs> something like 10 feet. So when we go to shoot it, we don't know if we're going to be able to do the scene or if we're going to have to do it at like the banks of this like muddy swamp water. And like the water over the course of the day descended. And so by the time it was nighttime, the bridge was like back. So we like went, but it was like wet and slippery. So we had to like dry off the bridge. And like, and for those scenes, I'm there because the bridge is way off in the bayou behind the house. I'm like laying on the bridge with a portable monitor and like the camera, the actors and camera right here. And I'm like laying down on this muddy bridge, watching the monitor. And I'm like <laughs> doing lines with them and giving them some ad libs to try as they're like feuding on the bridge. So that was a really fun, chaotic, but really fun, really fun shoot. Was that all in one shot? Did they walk around behind and no, I think we cut. I think there's a cut in there when we cut from the like the sort of dolly or crane down into the into seeing them like on the bridge, like. If I remember, I mean, that was a longer, there's a longer version of that sequence too, but anything longer than what's in the movie started to drag the pace down. Right. Um, so yeah, I ended up just cutting up, but, but yeah, it would have been great to do it, to achieve it all in one shot would have been. It it um, looked like one shot. So, so well done on that. Um, I also wanted to ask <laughs> about the, uh, the car. Um, oh yeah. So it looked like there was, uh, I, I can't remember her name, unfortunately. I'm sorry. The actor who was in the oh, car. Lauren? Lauren. So it yeah. looked like she was in the car with actual flames around, but then there was also a shot from afar of the car burning with something moving. Was that like a animatronic or something in the yeah, car? Yeah, it was a mix. We had a whole mix of stuff of that. We had 
Um, there was the, the actual actor, Lauren. We had her stunt double. We had a dummy. And then ultimately we did augment it with a little bit of VFX too. Okay. But most of, most of that was done practically because I always feel like if I'm watching a movie and there's a lot of fire, um, it's always really easy for me to see if it's CG or not, right? Like it always, yeah. and like, it's like, so, even in like movies that have huge budgets, like I'll be watching like Spider-Man or something, you know, yep. and it, it's like, it just looks off. So like, so we did it. We burned up the car for real. And Angela was a trooper. She ran around and Lauren was a trooper. She sat in it until it wasn't safe. And, uh, and so it was, but it was crazy. We had fans all around it that we were moving around to adjust the flow of the smoke and trying to make the flames look, um, go in the right direction. Um, but it was fun. But when we did it right on the bayou, I was, I'm amazed that the owners of the house let us burn it. Yeah. <laughs> but they yeah. did. That's great. Yeah, I was I was impressed. I could tell that there was a lot of practical effects work in that, which so it, it stood out to me because I I feel like it's an easy thing nowadays to be like it's safer to do via like oh, the effects for fire. And I understand that, but I I, yeah. I appreciate the effort to do it safely and real, which which was great. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, well, thank you. And yeah, we had a good like stunt team too. So it was like there's like, you know, in terms of safety but yeah i was thinking it just visually looks so much cooler fire has such an interesting texture to it yeah that, it's very um, chaotic it's hard to fake yeah it is very it's very <laughs> hard to fake and we we augmented it a little bit here and there to, to hide like you know like a boom mic or something <laughs> but other than that other than a few tweaks it's pretty much it's pretty much for real it was fun it also helps get the energy up i think it's, yeah. it's helpful for the for the actors too because it's it's uh just so hot and loud you know it's right crazy loud so it uh, contributed a lot, I think, to that scene. Great. I, I guess the only other question I had is I, I see your next uh, project is supposed to be uh, an ad adaptation of Warren Adler's uh, novel Cult. Oh, I know, yeah. that's According weird. to IMDb, at least. I don't know if that's, that's actually that, what you were going Yeah. That, no, no, that's funny, though. That's on IMDb. So, but yeah, no, I, I think that was from years ago, from before Flower, the approach me about adapting this novel, which is actually pretty cool about um a guy who he one day wakes up and his wife has left him and he thinks oh god she's left me for like another guy or something but no the wife has actually joined this cult that has kind of infiltrated her life oh wow um and it, it's great it's really cool project i think i think i'm not sure if the producers ran out of money or <laughs> was uh, one, that was one of those but this is years ago it's probably still floating around somewhere. <laughs> uh, but i wrote a script for it and then it's uh, summer it went into the hollywood bolts uh, ah okay but uh but yeah maybe one day it will rear its head but, do you already have something new that do you have act actually something new you're yeah, working on that you're looking forward to or i've written a couple of scripts since since shooting this um both in the horror genre so it's, i think it's going to be one of those um ones about two young bank robbers again and over their head um but i think has a really good horror twist um so yeah probably it'll probably be that i mean i'm hoping i can get something up and running and you know, sometime maybe in the summer next year, I'll be shooting again. That's yeah, that's, a, that's the dream. We'll see how reality <laughs> interferes with that dream. I know, I know, right? Yeah. All right, awesome. I, that's all the questions I had. And I, I think, I don't know if you guys got a strict window. Unless there's something else you want to plug or throw in here. Um, I, I, I'm going to obviously include in the podcast when I had it all together that, you know, it's premiering on the 19th and it'll be on, it'll be on Epics and VOD, correct? Yeah, it'll be it'll be on Epics and VOD. Yes, yeah, so you can buy it, rent it on all the platforms, um, and then it's also on Epics for people who have Epics. So, which is great because awesome. I think originally it was just going to be Epics, and then it kind of expanded through Paramount to all the all the platforms and all that good stuff. So, 
Yeah, no, it's super cool. I can't, I cannot wait. It's crazy how soon the 19th is. <laughs> I keep thinking of it as like, wait, that, that's far in the future, but that's actually not that far away. Right, right. Yeah, it's coming quick. All right. I'm, cool. I'm good if you guys are. Yeah, I am good. It was so much fun to talk to you. Yes, it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm, I'm excited to be the first, uh, <laughs> first podcast, but but yeah, no, we should do it again sometime. I always love to come back on. Anytime. Yeah, absolutely. Let let me know whatever yeah. you're working on next. I'll I'll uh, do you have like a, a Twitter or something? I'm sure I can I do I never use much of that stuff. I should in fact my Twitter bio is literally like what films I made, and then it's like I don't use Twitter much. <laughs> <laughs> right. But no, you can find I'm on Facebook though. Like you can find me on Facebook and vice versa. All right, uh, cool. I'm gonna Facebook stalk you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm I, I'm on there somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah. No, likewise. Like, <laughs> that was really fun. Thanks. Oh, for it was great. Time. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Take Thank care. you. Bye. All right. So that was fun. Always great speaking with another Alex. Uh, it, it, Alex was actually really cool. I really liked him a lot. Um, you know, he's he's fairly new to directing, but I I think he could go on to do a lot of good stuff. And um, he was super nice and very. Very fun to talk to. Um, I was lucky enough to see A House on the Bayou, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I thought the cast was very strong. It was well-directed, with good atmosphere and interesting twists and turns. It did. It gave me kind of like a Twilight Zone vibes, like a, a movie, like a Twilight Zone movie kind of in a way. Um, it was cool. I, 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 I would recommend it. We'll, we will be watching his career with great interest. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, now let's move on to what did we watch this week? <laughs> so I, before we get into the main discussion, I, I got to see last night in Soho, guys. Lucky son of a bitch. Yeah. Nice. Susie was nice enough to take me on my birthday. Yeah. And it was a whole crazy experience because the, we showed up late and we were the only people in the theater and they didn't start the movie. Oh, wow. So we showed up like... What should have been like 15 minutes in, like with previews and everything, and the movie wasn't playing. We had to complain and all, like multiple times from the show of the movie. It was, I was very upset, but I did get to see it and it was pretty awesome. It's cool seeing Edgar Wright like tackle something more serious, you know, it, you know, like Baby Driver was definitely kind of like the middle between his sillier stuff and this, I would say. It was very well directed as, as usual for Edgar. Great music. The cast was really good. Um, it definitely had, you know, I feel like this, him and him and James Wan were really into their, um, their, their jallos recently. It was, it was pretty good. I, I, I don't want to spoil it too much, but I would definitely recommend it, um, to anyone listening as well as you guys. And, you know, if you guys want to see it, I would see it again. All right. Then noted because I definitely want to see this. Nice. Yeah. There's no wrong. There's only right. That's right. That's right. W-R-I-G-H-T. Thank you, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Matt, for clarifying for the listeners. All right. It came out in 1979, but this week we watched Alien. As a space merchant vessel receives an unknown transmission as a distress call, one of the crew is, is attacked by a mysterious life form, and they soon realize that its life cycle has merely begun. The science fiction horror film was directed by Ridley Scott and written by Dan O'Bannon, who went on to write Total Recall, Life Force, and write and direct Return of the Living Dead. The film stars Tom Skerritt, Sigourney Weaver, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm, and Yafet Kodo. The alien and his accompanying artifacts were designed by the Swiss artist H.R. Gagger. 
Is it Geiger or Giger? It's Giger. Giger. <laughs> I stand corrected. While concept artist Ron Cobb and Chris Foss directed the more human settings. As a warning, I'm sure there will be spoilers as we discuss this. Uh... For anyone who has never seen this amazing <laughs> film before. This 42-year-old movie. Uh, so if you haven't seen it yet, which is insane, uh, you may want to pause this, watch the movie, and come back. Otherwise, let's dig right in. So Matt and Tim, especially Matt, I'm going to guess, mm-hmm. uh, what are your favorite things about Alien? Um, everything. <laughs> um it's just the best it's amazing i know we've already talked about how we've we've all seen we all saw this movie first like way too young yeah but it's just you know like everything about it it's a beautiful film yep the score is amazing it's just the best i saw it you know on tv probably cut the shit (laughs) you know all the good stuff taken out and i was still like so enthralled with it yeah like what is like it just leaves you with so many questions in such a good way like the space jockey i i i you know i thought i thought about that my entire life basically i know like it was such a good mystery for everyone for so long it it was especially because i remember very distinctly and i'm sorry we're getting hyper local here but at the new england comics in quincy center there was a painted model of the space jockey. Yeah. And I used to go in and just stare at that thing and study it because it's like, I want to know more about this. And this is the best bet this is the best way I can do it. Cause it's just so quick in the film. I don't get enough time to just, I know. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like, what is it? Is it like a guy sitting there? Is it a whole thing? Like what's with the weird elephant trunk? Why yeah. is he so big? Like, Something came out of him. Like, where is that thing that came out of him? And, like, we get none of those answers. And it's totally cool because, you know, all the other stuff we get is great. Exactly. I love that the movie doesn't feel the need to answer much of anything. Absolutely. You know, like, the intense mystery involved in this movie is what one of the things that makes it so damn good. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I was really thinking of with watching it this time is... I, I've never, I'm kind of like weird with sci-fi. Like I, I, as the older I get, the more I enjoy like funner sci-fi. But growing up, I always liked my sci-fi to be scary. I always, I, I really like like scary space. Like I love that in this future, hum- humanity has like mastered space travel, but there's like nothing there except for this yeah. horrible unknown monster. Like, I, it just, there's something so terrifying about that, that we've been through all these different solar systems and we can do all this crazy stuff, but we found nothing except for this. And it's the worst thing that we could find. And I, I just think that's so awesome. I, I, I just love how scary this movie is. I love how well it works as a sci-fi movie and a horror movie. And yeah, Matt, like, as you said, it's it's beautiful. It is a it is such a well designed oh movie. Like yeah, like all of the like and the practical effects, the fact that like yeah. so many of like the scenes of the planet as they're going to like investigate the derelict, like are like paintings and you don't even know like you don't even it doesn't even look like they're paintings. No. And, like, the ship landing, the little ship when it lands on the planet is a miniature, but it looks so good. Yeah. 
so good. And it just, it, there's so, it's it's so well shot. The director of photography, I looked him up, he, he died in 2010. Yeah. I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He He's so good and he barely worked on movies. Wow. Which shocked wow. me because I was like, this must have been shot by like some like famous cinematographer, right? And I looked it up and he, he worked on like seven movies total. He mainly worked on Canadian commercials. Interesting. Yeah, beautiful movie. Because those are some like probably sick looking commercials. Those Canadians. I know they, yeah. <laughs> right? They're probably some really good looking Canadian commercials. One thing I noticed again about this movie, and I and I forget about this every time I watch it, because in our minds it's such a Ripley movie. But like, there are no hints for quite a while into this movie that Ripley is the main character. Oh yeah, it's it's a perfect ensemble yeah. cast. Any one of these folks could be. Look at Yafet Kato. Look how he's dressed. That screams main character. Yeah. And the first person, the first person who wakes up is John Hurt's character. Mm -hmm. He's the only person we see get up. Like they focus on him for all this time. And then they spend so much time focusing on Dallas. It's probably like, I don't know, like 15 minutes into the movie when Ripley starts actually really like talking and asserting herself. Mm And so, like, it, it must have been so cool when, like, the, the first time seeing this movie without any real knowledge of it, watching Ripley, like, evolve into this lead character, who's such a great lead character, because she's intimidating, she's smart, but she's also, like, scared. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't make her, like, invincible or anything like that. Like, it, it, no no wonder she's such, like, a, a iconic like horror slash sci-fi hero because like typically characters are either scared or super tough and intimidating. She's one of the few that manages to be both. And it, it, it it's just so great. So good. Every time I watch this movie, I think about what it must've been like in 1979 to see it in the theater, not really uh, knowing I know. what it was about because even like before you even see this movie, you know what happens, and you know, yeah. you know, the alien's going to burst out of, you know, Kane's chest, and, like, because you just know, like, it's so it's so ubiquitous, and it's such, like, a thing, you know? But to be there, like, crazy. There are some photos of a test screening of the audience reaction to the chestburster scene. Oh, that's cool. And uh, I, I definitely should look it up, because in particular, you know, you have... Everyone being various states of gasping, horrified, grossed out. But then there's one dude in the corner who's just got the biggest shit-eating grin on his face. <laughs> and it's amazing. <laughs> Shout out to, I had a, um, a old childhood friend, John Gray. I don't know if he, he yeah, listens to I this, but I know Gray. you guys know him from, from Quincy in high school too. His dad used to... I actually probably saw this movie first in its entirety on you know, clipped with him and his dad saw it in the theaters and he would, he would always talk to us about what it was like to see it in the theater then. And it was so cool. So cool. That's cool. That must be so cool because it like going into this with knowing almost nothing about it must've been so cool. Cause even by the time I saw it on TV, it had several years old, Mm -hmm. you know, like, but for all I know, by the time I saw it, aliens was already out. Oh, totally. Oh yeah. So I knew Ripley was the lead. I knew about chestbursters and everything, but like going into this blind, because yeah, I was watching this time and I was specifically trying to imagine while I was watching the chestburster scene, what it would be like to have no idea what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. 
Uh-huh. It, it must have been so cool and so creepy and 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 scary. Like uh. that whole scene, like when he like you know starts to you know convulse and they like flip him over and he's like on the you know table and like a little bit of red appears on his shirt and like everything stops and it's quiet for like a second. Yep. So good. And then he you know things progress and out he comes. But oh man. <laughs> It's just the, amazing. The noise, the oh, noises yeah. Veronica Cartwright's character makes during the that scene, like the like, oh god, oh yeah, like always gets me. It's so primal and like horrified, and and the noises John Hurt makes too. People don't talk about her as much. No, they don't. I th- she's fantastic. Yeah, she's so good in it. Everyone's so good. They do such a good job of like setting up all the the dynamics between the characters and like. Like, it, it's just, like, the way that the two of them are, Harry Dean Stanton and Yafet Koto's character are going on and on about their um, bonuses. Yeah, the bonuses. And, like, when they fuck with uh, Ripley by turning the, the pipe on. The steam. Yeah, the steam, and they can turn it off as soon as she walks away, and, like, it, it's just so well done. And, like, that's another thing I always forget about. I, I forget that you don't know that Ash is synthetic. Yep. I know. I always forget about that, too. And, they, like... Imagine being seeing this movie for the first time and, and being like, okay, there's an alien. All right, you got in space. All right, cool. And then all of a sudden you're like, what, there's a fucking robot? What the hell is this? Yeah. There are no hints that there are robots in that movie at all until you find out that one of the characters is one. If you, like, kind of, like, watch his character throughout the movie, there's, like, little things. It's, like, yeah, hard to are. know whether, like, it was purposeful or... You know, you know, just by, you know, happenstance. But there are, like, things that you're like, okay, like, he knows what they're doing. And, like, he knows why they went there. You know, stuff like that. He's so calm when every like, even during the chestburster scene, he's, like, other than, like, concerned about what happens to the alien, he, he is so calm compared to the rest of them. Definitely. It's And, like, when he wakes up in the cryotube in the beginning, he seems com- almost completely oriented unlike everyone else Ugh. i just love there's like so much character development in this movie without dialogue do you know what i mean yeah like like you just know where everybody stands and like even like the like scene of them like post waking up they're all like sitting around the table and like they're all like talking at the same time and like you don't really know what what like anyone is saying but like you still get like it's just so natural and you yeah. It's just so good. It's so. It really good. is. And uh, I was gonna say, you can also a lot uh, can be said for Ron uh, Cobb. He did a lot of the uh, yeah. He did a lot of the designs, and uh, he's quoted as saying that you know a lot of the envir- a lot of the effort should be expended towards rendering their environment. Yeah, and that's what helps convince. That's what help. What makes the story so convincing? You know, it's always in the background, but it it needs to feel real to the characters inhabiting it because it. Ha- Story and characters emerge and they become more real because of whatever you do with your, you know, backgrounds. So way to go, Ron Cobb, for that. The place setting, so to speak. Yes, exactly. And you know, everything's so goddamn wet on the on the on the Nostromo. Like, don't forget, the Nostromo is basically a giant floating oil rig, right? And because that's yeah. how, that's evocative of it. It's also you know, it's a gothic horror in space. Ooh, Alex, important question. Yeah. How did you feel about this 
slow moving spaceship. <laughs> I was thinking that during it. I was like, wow, I forgot there is a pretty slow moving spaceship in this. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was cool with it. I was cool with it because I'm used to it in this, you know, and and to be clear, it's not landing. I don't really have. a Well, there is kind of when they're when they're landing on the planet, it takes them a surprisingly long time to land that little shuttle on the planet right but it's not something the size of the nostromo land that's true that's true and, and i mean don't get me wrong i can get down with a slow moving spaceship i just i want to know why i'm spending this much time watching it you know whereas an alien <laughs> i already know its importance and in like dune you know now i know its importance more but at the time i watched it the first time i didn't really but that's a good question man yeah and, i mean and the the slowness again is helping it be evocative of playing into the horror, the gothic horror aspect of right. monolithic structures that are physically imposing and arcane in their just geometry. And of course, just totally wet. <laughs> totally wet and soaked. Just so wet. This is, very, this is a very wet movie. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> and I, yeah, one of the things that also, like the slowness helps to sell that this is not like a sleek high-tech thing necessarily they're they are space truckers this is like this is yeah. old pro everything they're using is probably like a decade old and you know like mm -hmm. they're they're the the ship like fucks up as soon as it lands you know like and they have to fix stuff like it, it really helps to sell that these are working class people you know yeah yeah, you mean you mean when the ship lands on Asheron formerly known as LV-426 <laughs> uh you know one of the three moons orbiting uh Kalpamos in the Zeta Two Reticuli system, thirty nine light years away from Earth. That planet. Oh, good job! Tim. I can't believe you just knew that off the top of your head, Tim. Amazing. Mm. <laughs> we always knew that. We always knew it from the start. We just didn't want to show off when we were talking about it before. Right. We don't want to flex. Uh, I, we could keep going about favorite things. Do, do you guys have any favorite things? Yeah, the freaking movie. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Like, for me, like, favorite things in honorable mentions just mix in so much for this movie because they're, like, everything is good. But, like... Um, everything is good. One thing I noticed that I all that I forget about a lot, too, is is how they put in heartbeat sounds constantly during tense mm -hmm. scenes, which, like, is yeah, so surprisingly right? effective. It's so oh, yeah. It seems like a cheat, but it works really well. I will say, having seen the, I mean, now don't forget, I do, pref I prefer the theatrical cut of this. I've seen the deleted scenes. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah, they don't really add much. Yeah, like Tom Skerritt, we, the last we see of Tom Skerritt is in a duct. Yeah. And then that's it, right? Yeah. And then later on in the deleted scene, she comes across all of them being turned into eggs. Yeah. And yeah. Tom Skerritt is kind of like doing the classic, kill me. Right. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for not including that in the film. That's fairly goofy, and 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 I don't. That doesn't really make any sense. Like, why would like why would they turn into eggs? Like, yeah, yeah it doesn't really. Right. It seems like that was a studio note of being like, well, you got to explain why these things are eggs. You got to yeah. explain the life cycle, <laughs> or else people aren't going to like it. Yeah. Yeah, and the script changed around a lot. You know, um, it, it was very different originally. Um, it was a little cheesier. Like, like Ridley Scott really like gave it some prestige, you know? Because if you think about it, like, if you were to break down what happens in the movie, it sounds like a really cheesy B-movie. But yeah. Ridley Scott being Ridley Scott elevated it to this really, like, cerebral and dark thing, like, gothic horror movie in space, you know? Like, with great characterization and amazing production design and amazing sets. 
but yeah, it, it it doesn't surprise me that something like that was in the original, like was in a version of the movie because it, it seems like the kind of thing that would happen in a sillier movie. But yeah. definitely, the, I, I, yeah, I, I agree completely. The theatrical cut, I think, is way better. I mean, Ridley Scott understood the world already has a Roger Corman, so he can... Exactly. You know, we don't need to do something similar. He was like, I can save this for when they rip me off with Galaxy of Terror. Don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about that horny movie. That's right. Was there anything you didn't like about Alien? Was there anything that confused you? The, the deleted scenes that were cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. It's just, it's just perfect. I, if I had to pick two minor nitpicks. Sure. Um, and these are stretches, but th- the first thing is more of a question. I never understood how the curled up magazine was an effective, uh, smothering yeah. tool. Yeah. That's always confused me. Like I've never really yeah. understood that, it's especially since in several of the shots, her nose is still free. So th- yeah. that always really confused me. I always thought that was weird. It's too. possible that I just don't know enough about strangle, you know, suffocating people. Like, maybe it's, you know, if there's any suffocation experts out there, like some serial killers who listen to this, you know, feel free to reach out to me and let me know that that uh, rolled up magazines are actually a great way to take someone out. But I'm assuming they're not. Well, do you want to know what Ridley Scott said in the commentary track about that? Sure. It was meant to be a simulated rape scene. Ooh. Oh. Uh, okay. It, it, it's, it, that's what he was trying to evoke. Right. Okay. So he was like, it wasn't so much about the actual mechanics of it as much of it was about like the symbol, the symbolism of what it was. The violation. Yeah. All right. I get that. Supposedly. You know, I know. I'm, 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 I'm disappointed now that I know that, but here we are. And the other thing that's a minor nitpick is it would have been fair when they're putting ash's severed head onto the table Mm. right it would have been fairly easy to just like have the can because you can see the bat like ripley's back and it's all shadowed it would have been fairly easy to just move the camera into the shadow and have it come out the other side with like cut it there to have it go to uh ian holmes head through a table hiding the jump cut better yeah it's this really big jump cut and it's it's fine but it's just yeah. Ridley Scott's such a perfectionist, it always surprised me that that didn't, like, drive him insane. Like, it surprised me that he didn't, he wasn't like, we, like, we gotta find another way to do it. It, it's only because of how, like, I, me and, uh, me and my friend Dan Turner used to talk about, um, this scene in Predator where, um, a trap goes off and what is clearly a cell animated rope goes up the screen. Yes. Um, and and so I we used to always say that every every perfect movie has a rope, like this is the movie's rope, <laughs> and so like I you know I it, it sticks out because the like it's these things in movies that stick out because the movie is otherwise like flawless, so that always stuck out to me. I think it's funny that you should say that you should that you're using the word rope about in in relation to this hiding a jump cut with a with a black enveloping the camera type thing, yeah, because that is a reference to. Alfred Hitchcock's movie Rope, which was meant to be shown in one continuous shot, but all there's many cuts Ah. that are covered up by the technique we're talking, which is going close in on somebody. There's a big, you know, someone walks in front of the camera, blackness for flash, you know. Yeah. So I just how how apropos. How yeah how that's a great movie. How fitting. I've actually never seen seen that movie, Matt. Oh, it's so. I know you love you some Hitchcock. They like kill a man 
Well, I guess I shouldn't give it away. <laughs> but they murder they murder a guy in like the opening scene of the movie, two men. And I think the underlining thing of that movie without like overtly saying it was that they were a couple. But they killed a dude, strangled him, put him in a trunk, his body in a trunk, and then hosted a dinner party. <laughs> and Jimmy Stewart comes in and just solves the whole thing. It's so good. It's so good. He's like, he's like well, that's a humdinger. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so I was good. hoping you were going to do your Jimmy Stewart impression for a second. <laughs> that's what you got to do. Is just... Here, we got to find a use for that. Can we talk about our favorite death scenes in this yeah. film as well? Why the hell not? I thought we were going to talk Cause... about running. I thought we were going to talk about Running Time, a movie that's quite like Rope, but stars Bruce Campbell. But continue. Oh yeah, I, I remember Running Time. Um, yeah, Matt, what's your favorite death scene? Every it's every just death scene? amazing <laughs> that like every time I see this, you know, however many times I like I've seen this movie a million times, and every time I'm just like still shocked and scared by the death scenes like especially like harry dean stanton yeah. so good oh my God. and like everything leading up to that jo- jonesy the cat real i was that one thing i was thinking about this oh time. jonesy God. the cat really helped sell that scene so good yeah it's crazy it's just so crazy everything is just so simple but so effective yeah. and like the 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 when Parker and Lambert bite it. Yeah. Like it's just like the shadow the in the whole, light. Like oh my god, mm-hmm. and like the like like the in and out aperture of like the door or like whatever. Yep. Like they, they, it's just crazy. And like that, like that's so close to the end of the movie where it's like there's just three of them left, and like you, you, I think you know that like the the two of them are gonna get it, but like you're still oh, scared. Man, yeah. It's just crazy. And then the sounds, like when Ripley is like hearing it happen and like the crazy noises that she's hearing. Oh man, so good. And like you don't even really see anything. I know. But it's just so It's so effective. effective. I I think Dallas's death scene is probably my favorite. Yeah. Just like the idea of being in these little tunnels and knowing that it's there somewhere but not knowing where. And like it's just so claustrophobic and disturbing and the... Even though there's like, it's funny because there's like, there's that moment where he kept, he comes down and a flamethrower moves and you can see the alien just like right behind mm-hmm. him for like a, a yeah. second, for like a flash of a second. Yep. And when I was younger, I was just like, uh, like, like they fucked up. You can see the alien for a second. But the older I get, I'm like, holy shit, you can see the alien for a second. I know. Yeah. I know. And like, in even though all the alien really does when he turns is like, do jazz hands it's yeah, it's does. still so happy. effective it's it's so scary and so alarming that whole scene is just so well done and it just it just like it, it it's one of those things that makes me always look behind me wherever i am you know it uh yeah that's probably my favorite do, do you have a favorite tim i mean it was harry dean Stanton. harry dean Stanton. yeah i mean yeah i mean because because uh, like you it, like you said it's because jonesy sells it just Ending it with Jonesy staring. Yeah, and the way Jonesy looks so terrified, like Jonesy knows right? it's there, and ugh. I kind of worry what they did to that cat on set to I know. make it to get those kind of reactions, but that poor cat. I know. I was worried yeah. about that too. I hope. I hope whoever played Jonesy was well taken care of. Mm-hmm. Poor little guy or girl. Matt, was there any other um 
specific things you wanted to discuss? I mean, I could go on and on. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's just at some point I just have to shut up because I could just keep talking. <laughs> All right. Well, would you guys give any random articles of clothing in Alien a breaky award in honor of the Windbreakers and the Neil Blomkamp movie Demonic? Yeah, Fitcado's headband. Oh, yeah. nice, nice. Solid choice. I love the clothes because they're just so like it. I mean, obviously, this 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 movie was made in the seventies, but <laughs> right. like none of the like I feel like you watch some movies from the seventies and it's like they're wearing seventies clothes, but this I don't really feel that way, and I I I like that very much. Yeah, I feel like the clothes like are a little dated looking, but I think you could still put them in a movie now. Like a, a sci-fi movie yeah. now, and it wouldn't be that weird. Like, like Ripley's like jumpsuit is is still pretty cool looking to this day. I'd say. Yeah. I would give a breaky, and this may be controversial, and I want to be. I want to clarify my reasoning. I would give a breaky to uh, Ripley's underwear outfit at the end, and, <laughs> and not because of how uncomfortable it is. Not because not for any like sexiness reason, but because of how well. Uh, how well Sigourney Weaver pulls it off. She manages to not like fall into this overly sexualized moments. It just seems like it seems vulnerable. It seems real instead of being like, you know, something for all the fans, even if she is simultaneously, you know, sexy in her like coolness or something in that moment. But it, it just like mm-hmm. she she like pulls that off, I would say. You know, it's like an iconic look that has been like referenced in a lot of other movies because it's just so it, it's it's a weird you have a lot of weird emotions towards it because you're like, this should be exciting in some way, but it's not because it's scary and she's and I we've been through so yeah. much with her that we feel like close to her. It's more how she wears it, I would say, that I would give her a breaky for it. I feel like it's her like like she thinks the alien's gone. Right. Right. She's like the the one survivor. All everyone is dead. I feel like this is her just kind of like le- just like letting go of yeah. what she had just been through, getting comfortable. She's gonna take a nice getting nappy ready nap. For cryo sleep. Exactly. Yeah. Like 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 shedding of like all like the trauma that she just went through. Right. Like it it actually had a story purpose to show to sell how done she was like like she this is behind yes. her there's every all of her crewmates are dead she's by herself she's acting like someone who is by herself and safe yes i mean i love being in my underwear <laughs> when i'm by myself so. right right i mean you know if i was alone in space that's probably how i dressed too absolutely in space nobody can see you in your underwear <laughs> <laughs> uh classic so finally um I don't know, I'm not sure what you guys will say about this, but would you recommend this little, barely known of movie, Alien? <laughs> yes. yes. A, a Go billion see times, Alien. Yes. See Alien. <laughs> Watch it a Go, million times. Yeah. And, and, and if you like video games, I highly recommend Alien Isolation. Ooh, yeah. Okay. It takes, it, you, you play as Amanda Ripley in the 15 years after the first film while Ellen Ripley is still in cryosleep and Amanda's Ooh. investigating what happened to the Nostromo. It's very, very That's good. That's cool. That is cool. I, I believe I, I've, um, I've also already mentioned this shout out to, um, there's a podcast called, um, perfect organism. Right. That is very good for anyone who is into this. And, um, I believe one of the guys is local. I think he lives in Boston, but Ooh. Yeah, they they talk about all the movies and they just get into a lot of cool stuff. So 
I recommend it for all the fanboys. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Perfect Organism. Shout out to them. And, and yeah, I think safe to say we'd all recommend Alien. So, uh, you know, you might not have heard of it, but you might want to look into it and try to find it. Check it out. I think there were some other movies after it, too. Um, <laughs> I know. It's funny. We didn't even like, 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 I like didn't want to mention any of them. Yeah. Um, because we, I'm sure we'll get to some of them. I think we, we a logical thing to do is to, you know, not every week, but let's work our way through the series. Yeah. You know, so we'll, we'll get to all of them. Protection. Next time, let Carl take his pants down. Slip this in his thigh. Twist it so the wound won't close. Oh, the sound of Don Travolta saying one of his great lines from Face Off means we are out of time. We'll be back next Monday with a new episode, assuming our chest bursters don't hatch before then. Oh my god, Matt, are you, are you okay? Yeah, sorry, it's just gas. Don't worry, it takes way longer for the chest bursts to gestate. Oh, okay. Whew, cool. Uh, <laughs> if you have any questions for me, Matt, or Tim, we don't have a dedicated email or Twitter yet, but you can reach out to me on Twitter at Alex Harris Comics, all one word, comics with an X. If you like this podcast or any of the other great podcasts, articles, or features on AIPT, you can help support the site and the people who work on it by signing up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash AIPTcomics. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, it's okay to love movies. They may not be able to love you back, but they will always be there for you. Bye.